So how we all been? Gee whiz, did everyone just go to Sunday school? And crash. Hope, hope people come back. Yeah, I know. I got left behind, bro. <laughs> no good. No good. It's been a good Sunday, good, um, good morning, hasn't it? Been lots of laughter. I was sitting out the. Um, I was sitting out here on the, uh, the in the sort of sun because I'm a bit of a bit of a lizard and a bit slow in the morning to wake up until I get a bit of warmth into me, and um, the sitting out there and I could hear the worship guys start up in here and here I am about to talk about you know Sarah and laughter and stuff and Ruth you've got a great laugh <laughs> like when you when you really get your laugh on it's like oh, oh it's just like I was smiling to myself just hearing it laughing is just this really weird thing and I've got to thank Tim actually for bringing a lot of it lately because I'm going to start out actually with I was um, catching up on a few of the Willowburn podcasts because I was, I was behind on a few uh, sermons from, from whatever reason, been away, and, uh, and I, one had just finished, and you know how the podcast just goes into the next one, and it started playing the Tim's first session from camp, and uh, you, you told that risque baptism joke, baptism story. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm walking into work, I've got my earbuds in, and I'm just having a cackle to myself, and then there was these other people that I work with, and they're like looking at me like, and then I looked up and I saw that I was busted and then they started laughing and it was just this big, you know, this, this contagious laughter kind of thing happening. And it was just really good, really great. And then later on that day, we, I was talking about exactly the same thing of how contagious laughter is and then one of the guys at work showed me this um, clip from Big Bang Theory. You guys know the sitcom, Big Bang Theory? And, um, and it had the laughter track removed and it's terrible. <laughs> it is not even funny. Like the lines... That I know I probably would laugh at. It's just silence, man. It's, it's cringy, it's awkward, and they're even pausing through their dialogue to wait for the... Uh, it's terrible. So I came away from knowing that laughter is contagious, so that's, it's, it's a good thing. But today actually is our... Um, laughter is going to be a topic what we, that we're going to talk about. Laughter is not normally that thing that you think about when you come to church to discuss or talk about because we think we've got to come here in some somber, sort of serious mode, you know, with long faces. And I get that to some extent. Like What we come here to church to remember is serious. Like Jesus took you and me really seriously when he went to the cross for us. But that same cross and resurrection from death bring joy, bring joy from our lives. So, um, we need to look at this laughter story, we need to look at this laughter topic today because we're going to talk about the, we're going to look at and read the uh, crazy, like miraculous events um, leading up to the birth of a kid who was called Laughter, or as you guys probably know him, Isaac, and all everything that went on sort of with his parents, Abraham and Sarah. So, um, we're going to tread a bit of probably an odd line today because when you think about laughter and you think about the situation that this story, st- story starts out in, it's like an old couple who can't have kids. It doesn't really lend itself to like a platform of comedy, does it? It really doesn't. Like it sort of starts out as like a heart-yanking fairy tale, kind of like what Pinocchio would. Although this is not a fairy tale, obviously. This is, this is a true story of how God birthed his first of his chosen people through this miracle, really. So... And just before we launch, I, I just want to, um, 
like it's not all fun. It's not all funny. This is this, the, this story will be very serious before it gets light. Um, and I just want to acknowledge probably a bit of sensitivity. Maybe it's a trigger warning. I don't know. But there's a lot of people in my family. Well, there's some people in my family, my my direct family, and um, a lot of my family in the wider church that um, who are probably listening that can't have kids, and so you'll feel, like if this is you, you'll probably feel Sarah's pain a lot more acutely than I can. You'll probably be able to empathise with her a whole lot more deeply than I can. But um, I just hope that as we go through this, um, you know, we're bringing the light out of Sarah's doubts and her despair that God Almighty through that can bring you through a bit of a healing measure that um, He's got prepared for you on this side of eternity until he gets to wipe every tear away. So, just know that I'm with you in this. So, so where are we? Mega series. Adrian and Daniel have taken us through a, um, Abraham's life so far. Um, they've, we've talked about his high points, we've talked about his low points, they've talked about, you know, uh, the chain that had to get yanked on him to pull him out of his comfort zones continually. Come on, Abraham, come out. Come on, Abraham, do this. You know, we've talked about those. We've talked about his, um, his fears, his faux pas, and his faith, above all, which was credit to, credited to him as righteousness. So this Abraham guy, ultimately, what's his purpose? He's called out. God sets a covenant with him. He's going to be the father of God's people, these new people. He's going to be the father of this Jewish nation that God's going to start up. And who's been with Abraham all this time? Who's been with him right from the beginning? Exactly, exactly. His dad's died, Lot split, he took the fat paddock. Sarah has been with him right from the start, right from the start. His beautiful wife, Sarai, actually, is, is what she's called at the moment. And we know that she was beautiful because, you know, when Abraham and Sarai, they flee the country for the famine, they go to Egypt and all the Egyptian princes, they're tripping over themselves trying to have her. She's about 65 years old-ish there. And then later on, um, when Abimelech wants her and Abraham still hasn't learned his lessons from Egypt and lets her go with him, she's about 90 year old, years old then. So this lady seems to be a lady of like sort of timeless beauty, doesn't she? She's, she's a very beautiful woman. And she, we also know then that her and Abraham, like they're crazy rich, like they've got so much, you know, livestock, Abraham and Lot when they, um, you know, large, like, swathes of land can't hold all of the livestock that Abraham and Lot have. These guys are doing some great dancing down the back there. That's some laughter right there. <laughs> Abraham and Lot, they've got these, um, you know, they can't, these large swathes of land can't hold all their livestock, so they've got to split. So they, they've got heaps of livestock, cattle, and, you know, camels and whatevers. And then they've, and we also know um, they've even got, like, their own kind of little military because remember that Abraham gathers all those 300 and something dudes and then they go off and they get Lot back. So she's, so Sarah, you know, Abraham and Sarah, they're this power couple. So Sarah, she's rich, she's beautiful. She's the, mother, she's the wife of a man who is promised that a nation will come from her. So she is effectively promised to be the mother of a great nation. Like she's got so much stuff the world would look at and desire. She's got everything, doesn't she? That's right, except, except when you are 
when you're the wife of the guy who's meant to have a nation come from him, you expect to have heirs, don't you? Heirs and, what's the raw term? Heirs and spares. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly, graces as well. So I want us to think for a moment how this plays out in Sarah's mind, okay? She cannot have children. She's, as the Bible calls it, barren. So think of it, um, Abraham and Sarah, they've got all this stuff, they are desired by a lot of people, but then all the kingdoms and cities and stuff around, the notable families and stuff, they probably look at them and think, man, he's not getting kids from her. I wonder how this would have played on her. Like she's, she probably wears a bit of that stuff, a bit of the scrutiny that Abraham's probably, probably, you know, feeling from those around. Like she can't provide kids for him. You know, what, what is that? How does that look like to Abraham? You know, how does that look like for him? What did the people around think of her not providing heirs? This is a crushing, crushing weight for Sarai. So, so incredibly crushing, actually, that she, uh, she breaks under it. Let's jump in or we'll read our first bit of Scripture today in verse 16 of Genesis. And we'll read from verse 1. Now, Sarai, 16, sorry, mate. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong be done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is, on, is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. So, man, this is crazy talk. This is a crazy point. Like, what desperate... T- How desperate does a woman need to be to push her husband towards another woman? It's, it's a tragic part of the story, hey? And, and the situation doesn't improve because... In fact, it all gets a bit um, like Bronze Age, like Jerry Springerish, for lack of a better word. All right, because here is um, handmade Hagar, then starts looking down on Sarah because she's pregnant and Sarah's not. Sarah has a go at Hagar about her uppity handmaid. Abraham just deals himself out, saying, "She's your handmaid. You, you deal with her." It's it's just this messy sort of marital love triangle thing happening. And then into this, Hagar and Abraham's son Ishmael is born. So this is like a simmering bitterness. This is the scene setting. This is a simmering bitterness that is going on in Abraham's house at the moment. And this is the same situation that our laughter kid gets injected into. All right? So that's our scene setting done. Let's uh, jump over into Genesis 17. Let's read a little bit. Now, the Genesis 17 is about, you know, God setting up um, the covenant of circumcision with Abraham and he changes... Ab- Sorry, I should have been saying Abram because up until this point, he is Abram. Changes his name to Abraham. Right, now I'm in the clear. I can just keep saying Abraham. 
God changes Abraham's name and then get down to uh, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, just a quick name, just a quick word on name changes. God does this to establish like a new identity of somebody. Here's a bit of a hint though. He's going to change, he's changing Sarai's name, which means my princess, which up until this point in time has been pretty right. You know, she's the, she's a the, um, like the head of a family, she is like that, um, she's Abraham's wife, she's kind of like the princess. She's he's, God's going to change it to Sarah, which means mother of nations. That's a pretty good clue. Something's going to happen, all right? Something's coming along. Something big, new and exciting is going to come into this empty, barren tent of Sarah's. Big life changes are coming for this uh, deeply wounded, bitter, hurting um, beautiful 90-year-old woman. Let's continue on. Uh, we'll go with verse uh, 16. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to him, sorry, and Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you, behold... I have, blessed, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So, Sarah is going to have a son. And really soon, what does Abraham do? God, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. No one's going to believe this. What about, what about Ishmael? I love that little guy. And God's like, okay, a child's coming who I'm going to hold my promise to you through and he's going to come from you and Sarah. It's going to come from both of you. Not Ishmael. Like, I hear you about Ishmael. I know you love him. I love him more. Right? I'm going to make him into a great nation. But this child that's coming along is going to come from you and Sarah. And it's going to continue my covenant through him. Wow. So, here's our first piece of laughter. Abraham just sort of not knowing what to do. I don't think it's really like a scoffing laugh because God doesn't correct him or anything. I think it's like a... Uh, I don't know what to think, say or do, so I'm kind of just going to go wobbly in the knees and fall down and, and laughter's just going to come out of me, kind of laughter. I think that's kind of what it is. So like, this, is this is insane. It's like, maybe it's a laughter out of like, uh, uh, what's going on here? It's incredible. I don't know how to contextualise that. It was, that, was, that kind of laughter sort of took me by surprise. But anyway, then we continue the story down and soon after, this is no more than a couple of months because we know um, Sarah's... Sarah is still not pregnant by this stage, and a baby's coming in a year, right? Baby's coming soon. 
and Abraham is sitting in his tent and God uh, comes along, most likely uh, like a pre-incarnate Jesus with a couple of angels, comes along and, and meets Abraham in his tent next to some trees at a place called Mamre. And Abraham gets up. He promises a little bit of bread and water for them. Like, here, I'll give you a morsel of bread. I'll give you some water to wash your feet. See you later. But then something in his mind changes. As he runs into the tent, what does he end up bringing out? He's, he's like, Sarah, get making some bread rolls. He goes out to, the, to his mate out in the field, you know, get this goat or sheep, you know, like prepare something, get some meat happening here. He goes and he's just grabbing through, you know, his cheese and curds and whatever. He's grabbing milk and everything. He brings this out, like the Near Eastern kind of equivalent of he's like cheeseburgers and milkshakes kind of thing. Lays it down. Generous, real good spread. The whole kit and caboodle all of a sudden went from a bit of bread and water to cheeseburgers and milkshakes. Generosity flowing out of this guy. And, he, and the Lord then asks, where's Sarah? He knows she's in the tent. She's probably still cleaning up after making the bread rolls. He knows. But he's come along because she needs to hear what he has to say. She needs to hear what he has to say. Abraham's already heard this already. So I wonder if he speaks a little louder because Sarah's probably in the tent, you know, trying to listen in, ear next to the, what do they use for tent making? Probably animal skins or something. So here he says, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. <gasps> what? <laughs> now we know how the story goes from here. Excuse me, that little what hurt my voice. <coughs> we know how the story goes from here, but before we sort of get above Sarah and we start judging her, let's put ourselves into her shoes for a little bit, you know? Um, like, so imagine you are her. Like, blokes, now I understand this is tricky for you. Just put your imagination into four-wheel drive and come with me for a bit, okay? Sarah's old. She's really old. Her menstrual cycle stopped. Abraham's old. You know, there is all this bitterness in her heart from seeing Hagar have a successful pregnancy. Hagar's son, Ishmael, is now, he's almost come of age. He's almost 13. And she's got all this just baggage and she's, that's her mindset. She's been thinking about this. She's been stewing on this for years. And then she's promised a son? A new baby's going to come into her life? Ha! You serious? Woke Alan up. <laughs> Way too good to be true. Way too good to be true. Way too good to be true, God. Like, now, just as the Bible says, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed at her, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? What God has said of her is impossible. Hey, impossible. Biolog like nurse people, medical people here. Is it impossible? Yeah. Yes. But what other option is there if she is to be the parent of a nation? What other option is there? So what comes into her mind first? Is it, is it God's promise that he's just said, you, you're going to have a son. 
Is it God's promise or is it her physical body limitations? What comes into her mind first? Obviously, yeah, obviously this is the first thing that just goes flying through, straight through her mind. She's like, no, nope, I can't do it. No, nope, I can't do it. No, nope, I can't do it. She's dwelling on this, okay? She scoffs and she poo-poos the idea under her breath and then the Lord corrects her. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, you did laugh. Oh, man, I feel so awkward for Sarah here, hey? I can feel her bitterness towards the situation she's in. I understand the shame that has been just buffeting her pride, like every day that she saw Hagar with Ishmael, when she saw Abraham, like the father of a nation without an heir from her, like, it would have been easy to scoff, hey, it would have been easy, like, God, look at my situation, are you serious? Look, look, look at me, are you serious? But then she's called out and she's asked to question these limitations against God's promise, God's promises. And she's asked, like, she's, God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a rhetorical question, Sarah. Don't answer it, okay? She realises in this moment who she is talking to and who she is doubting. Fear grips her heart. She's overcorrect. She says, no, I didn't laugh. And then she gets the correction with the absolute truth from the Lord. You did laugh. Man, how big did she feel? It's bad enough when a human like rebukes you and calls you out on lying. But when God does, man, tiny. So here's the first point for us, okay? When promise, when God promises things, when He speaks conviction into our lives, what is our immediate thought? If you're asked to do something, if you're prompted to go somewhere, to say something, to give something for God's work, what's your immediate thought? Mm. Is it, no, nah, I can't can't do that, that's impossible, I can't, I can't say that, that's impossible, I see what you're sort of asking me to, nah, I, I just can't do it, nope, nope. Is that our attitude towards some things? When we get that hot, you know, that hot convicting feeling in us, to give, say, do something, and we just think impossible, you know that moment? If you say they're impossible at that moment, then you've got no leg to stand on to criticise Sarah in any way because you're doing exactly what she did. Right? You're, and like she earned the correction from the Lord for that. And in, in, in that moment, like you are, if you say impossible to what God's asking you to do, if you say impossible, then you are scoffing at His ability to work through you, you are scoffing at His ability to provide for you, you are scoffing at His ability to speak through you. This is just a symptom of doubt, guys. Symptom of doubt, lack of faith. It's clear when we see it this way. Often we go, have you got faith? Yeah. Yeah. 
but think about this, like there is so much in our lives where we get to these situations and we really don't. We doubt God. We scoff and we laugh at Him. So I'm going to own this a little bit because I'm saying it to you. I've, I've got to say this as well. And I'm just going to talk briefly about sort of my situation a little bit where I've changed some ways and still have probably some ways to go. And this is my journey. So it's a little bit not comfortable for me to talk about, but whatever. We're friends here and we need to hear it. Um, we, like many young families, we have a lot of expenses, um, you know, mortgages and regos and, you know, just all the rates and school fees and then insurances and dentist bills and speeding fines and that's my fault. We have all those and, yeah, they're great when they're, they're just the things of life and they're spread out over the years but ours at the start of this year all arrived, all of, at least one of all those arrived in about a month and a half. And we felt that we needed to uh, pledge heavily to get some people to camp. And so we had money in our account and it was pledged and man, it would have been, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just hard to see it there sometimes and just, it would have been easy to go back on the pledge, you know, uh, really easy to just say, oh no, look, we need that money for some stuff, some emergency things have come up, let's just do it. Like, it was hard. And I, yeah, that temptation came to me a bit, but I'm like, no, we've pledged it. And then um, it was just, yeah, that, that thought just kept coming in to think of like how handy that money would actually be to use. I'm like, no, we pledged it. But then as I, we, I prayed about this and just I, I was changed to understand that, you know, that money that was there that could have gone to other things, it paled away beside, like into almost insignificance to the desire that it had to be needed elsewhere. It, it, it had a better use elsewhere than in our bank account. Um. And look, we still have a lot of upcoming expenses and it's hard. And, but we are trusting the Lord to give money, give generously in helping other people go on and do other parts of God's work for their lives. Now, this is my journey. This, is, this has been my doubts and my thoughts and my struggles. And um, I just want to say that my gorgeous, wife, generous wife is probably, she's so far, she's probably light years in front of me on this in the generosity scale. Um, because earlier in my life, I, would, I was very reluctant to you know, give any of my hard-earned to help people out. I would often just default back to just consoling myself with, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, I'm not happy about it, you know, I'm just... God, if I'm not happy about it, God doesn't want it, I'll just keep it. And while this is true in a way that my stubbornness of holding on to that verse as like this, uh-huh, this is my get-out-of-jail-free card, you know, was just me putting up a barrier to God's love being able to work through me and flowing through me for generous, you know, giving, radical generosity. I was putting that blockage up. I was misusing it. This was me laughing at God. This was me laughing at His promises to use His wealth, let's be real about it, His wealth better than I could. And this was me scoffing at God's promise to provide where I needed it. So, 
like Sarah, we all laugh at God's promises and we think that we can do better ourselves. We always think we can do things our own way. God's way is hard. Let's do things our own way. It always ends up hurting us more in the long run. So I think we need to spend some time now. We'll continue on in a second, but I just want us, I just feel we should have some time now to um, repent and not try to um, like repent in like a, a, a digging your hole bigger kind of trying to justify yourself kind of way, all right? Just lay it down. Don't just, just be honest with it. Just lay it down. Um, if, if God's putting something on your heart where you um, are laughing at Him, where you are holding back when you're not listening to His promises, just ask Him to show it to you right now. Lay it on your heart and then pray it and confess it and then work through it through the week. So let's take a couple of minutes now just to pray and confess that, ask God to show you where that is in your life and then I'll roll us up together with a prayer and and we'll continue on in a couple of minutes. Lord, there are areas of our life that we don't want you in. Show them to us, Lord. There are areas of our life that we doubt you speaking into. We doubt your promises, Lord. Show us them. We confess them over to you, Lord. We ask that you would move through us. Use your Holy Spirit to convict us of these areas and ways to change. Amen. So God is coming through. Let's turn to Genesis 21. And we'll continue in our last little section here, our last little bit of laughter. So we've gone from Abraham falling down in, I can't even believe this laughter, just God's promises coming into him and him just exploding with worshipful laughter. We have a scoffing sort of laughter here from Sarah. But Sarah's time is coming where that blessed laughter poured into her by God will explode from her. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Isn't that verse cool? It's God doing exactly the impossible things that he said he would. Exactly. The crazy things, the the insane things that we, in this world, we just go, nah, nah, that won't happen. Nah, that's impossible. Reality. God makes it reality. Verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. God's come through again. Timing and everything perfect. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Sarah and Abraham's son, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son, Isaac, was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 
God did, Sarah. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Impossible become possible. Hey, laughter here this day, laughter, this little boy Isaac is born into Sarah's life. The joy of laughter then floods over her and into her just once empty, silent, quiet, barren tent. It's just now this like kerfuffle of noise and new life and everything that the crash room is full of right now. You know, it's just, is it ours? Oh, no surprise. Um, but, you know, it's just, there is something about little kids and they just, they just, their constant noise and just always reminding us of life and newness and just plenty of potential and energy and vitality. It's just there in children. And now Sarah's tent is full of it. This, this laughter, this is flows just directly into Sarah's life, into her tent, into Abraham, her and Abraham's family, and just washes over them. And this is just pure blessing from God. And this laughter comes directly from God. And all Sarah can say, all Sarah can say is, God has made me laugh. Hey, it's all she can say. God has made me laugh. So for us, when we submit to God's ways and we let Him work through us, the joy brought into our lives is overwhelming. From an outsider's perspective, it might look like, well, those guys are sad. But in us, we have joy. Our sorrow will turn to joy as Jesus promised us. So, answer me this. When Sarah held her little baby boy, right, when she's holding her little, little, her little newborn for the first time, was she thinking about all those years of bitterness toward Hagar? And when she looks down on his little face when she's feeding him, was she like scoffing and she's, was she laughing at God then? And when, you know, Isaac smiles back at her and giggles for her the first time when that little boy, when he's learning to walk, he's starting to pull himself up on things and knocking stuff over and he's crawling around in the dirt and he's getting into mischief and stuff. And then when he's walking, his little toddler is running around, Sarah's chasing him and he's laughing and he's giggling and he's squealing with joy. Did she doubt God's ability to provide for her? Did she doubt his promises? Like, that he said he would come through on? Did she doubt? No, they were solid in her mind. She could see, she had a result. She saw God's promise. She saw God's faithfulness in her little giggling, full of life son. So us, you know, when we have the blessings in our life, when we look back at them, like you've got blessings in your life, you've got blessings in your life, you've got blessings in your life, you guys have got blessings in your life. When you, when you look back on them, do you doubt God's faithfulness? Of course you don't. Of course you don't. So maybe as we go into the week, maybe even this afternoon, even this afternoon, set in your mind a memorial stone of when God blessed you so much in life, when God came through on a promise and set it as a memorial stone. Think on it a lot so it becomes like this reference point in your mind. And any time when, you know, God is calling you out to do something crazy, something impossible, something uncomfortable, something that you doubt yourself in, 
Look back on that memorial stone. Look back on that little Isaac. And um, just get dragged out of your comfort zone like Abraham was. Just get dragged out because God will use it um, to claim ground for his coming kingdom. I just want to finish with some words from Jesus. Jesus said it, I believe it. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Laugh. Let's lead into communion. I'm just going to pray. Lord, thank you for promising blessing to us. Thank you for the examples in your word that you've laid down for us to see and to apply to our lives. Thank you for the turnaround that you had in Sarah's life. Thank you for the joy that you brought into her life through a little son. And Lord, help us to remember those points in our life when you have blessed us. Above all those blessings, Lord, the ultimate, penultimate blessing you've blessed us with, Lord, is dying for us. So as we remember your death for us now, we take this bread and this wine, we serve it to each other. Show us, Father. Show us the, the gravity of that situation. Show us the weight of what it meant for you yeah, to have your son crucified. Make us truly thankful, Lord. Amen.